Welcome to the Fright Lab. I'm Lucas Yoakum, and with us today is our fearless cat herder, Mr. Joseph Wren. Joe, do you remember any of the first horror movies you ever saw? I remember seeing Freddy Krueger in the theater. Uh, which one? Exactly. Because <laughs> I was too young to know... I cannot say for certain the first horror movie that I ever saw, but the one that stands out to me is The Silver Bullet, which is probably not as scary as I remember it being, but I'm going to say this sentence, and you're going to have to go with it. Gary Busey. I mean, he's typically the scariest thing in any room, werewolf or not. A kid in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm, yeah. And a werewolf. That is all. Yeah, it's, that's a rough scene. I actually do remember that movie. It's actually, you know, it's one of those movies I rewatched not that long ago. And it's actually way better than I remember it. Uh, I can't say the same of some of the latter-day Howling films, but uh, Silver Bullet, that's actually a remarkably good one. So, I've always kind of believed that you never really forget your first time, you know? And I'll always remember that the first true horror movie I think I saw was this B-movie gem from Full Moon called Subspecies. I think I was maybe 11 or 12 years old. And it has set a pretty indelible mark on my life kind of ever since. I fell in love with that movie, and as you might have guessed, kind of the whole genre from that point forward. The impact it had on me was pretty much impossible to calculate. But... You know, like so many other things from childhood, Subspecies has sort of slipped away from me. I hadn't watched it in about 25 years, until recently, when I discovered that it was streaming on Tubi. I had to watch it to see if it still had that same magic. But this podcast isn't just one horror nerd's nostalgia show, right? Watching this movie with adult eyes was actually really revealing. Seeing what can be done with basic vampire tropes, even with a small budget like Full Moon, it was really amazing. Uh, it's an amazing film, and I hope to convince you to give this one a watch. And then there are the sequels, which we'll talk a little bit about the second film, uh, Bloodstone Subspecies 2. It's... it's something, I guess. <laughs> we'll get to that. We'll get to Subspecies 2, I promise. So you saw your first horror movie at the age of 11 or 12? I think. That sounds about right. Were you kept away from such things at an earlier point in your life, or was it just not something that you were exposed to? Um, I wasn't really exposed to it, right? Uh, my parents were not the sorts to really shy away from letting me watch stuff. I mean, within reason, of course. Uh, kind of a true story that'll give you a little background into the life of, of, of me. People always ask me, what's the scariest movie I've ever seen? You know, when you get to talking to people about horror movies, that's one of those questions that just pops up. One of the scariest movies I've ever seen is Pink Floyd's The Wall. That movie bothers the shit out of me. I It still gets under my skin. Go on. So part of the reason that movie still has the kind of primal, genetic, deep kind of fear uh, zap on me is that the first time I saw it, I think I was three or four years old. It was one of those, um, I'm sorry to start throwing people under the bus, only two episodes into my new show. <laughs> but so when I was really little, uh, blue collar upbringing, 
My mom was out of the house doing something. My dad had watch of me for the afternoon. And he said, for whatever reason, oh, this should be fine. He can watch this. It did not go well, as one might imagine. The best thing is, many years ago, I'm going to say I was in my early 30s. I brought this up to my dad. And I was like, hey, do you remember... Do you remember that? And he was like, yeah, I do actually remember that. I said, what made you think that was an okay idea? And he said something to the effect of like, well, you know, it was, it was just a bad decision about about some things. And uh, sorry about that, man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what, what are you supposed to do? But yeah, I saw that at a really early age. And to this day, that movie and that album even just gives me the chills. It's just, ugh, God, it's a scary movie. I can't remember a time I wasn't watching Every movie that I watch, I think you could call me desensitized because I don't see a scary movie and think, oh, that one left an imprint on me. Uh, You think most of the time the scariest movie I've ever seen is the one I just watched by myself at three o'clock in the morning. And now I have to go to sleep (laughs) and I don't sleep well. For those that know me, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I'm... The weird thing is, and this will be kind of become evident as the the series goes on, it's really hard for a movie to get it under my skin. It's it's not easy. I, I roll with fiction a lot easier than I do with, say, documentaries or even video games. Um, but at the same time, because I love the genre so much, I also will admit, like, uh, like we talked about in our previous episode, a movie like Maniac, oh, you just feel feel weird after you watch it. It's not it's not an easy watch. It's a great film, but it's not an easy watch. And it's something I always kind of warn people like, hey, my diet for horror movies is way different than most other people's. So if you're going to watch Maniac or Ms. 45, know what you're getting into, know what you're signing on for. And Subspecies is kind of one of those one of those movies, right? It, it's I'm not ruining anything about the movie when I say it's a vampire movie. It's it's really just that's all it is. So vampires, blood sucking undead predators of the night, hunting and seducing their way through whatever living humans get through their vicinity. There are many types of vampires, as there are many types of subcultures and subcategories of storytelling. Some vampires, like Anne Rice's Louis and Lestat, are more deeply human and deeply romantic figures. Or maybe you're more of a hardcore traditionalist and prefer one of the one and only true Bram Stoker Dracula films. Pick one. I like Coppola's Dracula, but whatever. Or maybe your tastes are, I don't know, a little more death metal, and you like Count Orlok from Murnau's Nosferatu, who is more of a parasitic monster than beguiling hunter. The field is damn near boundless, with plenty of iterations to fit even the most exotic of tastes. Is this a good time to bring up Shadow of the Vampire? You know what? I think it is, actually. I hadn't even thought about bringing that up. Um, Shadow of the Vampire was directed by uh, e. Elias Merhaj. Uh, he is best known for a bunch of very strange experimental films that you should go check out. Uh, Merhaj's uh, Shadow of the Vampire is a retelling of Murnau's Nosferatu, but here's, like, we're not ruining anything because it's the catch of the whole film. The real trick there is that Max Schreck portraying Count Orlok is not some depraved actor. No, no, no. He's really a vampire. It's a lot of fun. It's a really good movie. Uh, Willem Dafoe plays uh, Schreck slash Orlok, 
Uh, Carrie Elwes has a brief role in the movie. It's it's just so good. It's just so don't forget good. John Malkovich. You know, there's the fans out there. Oh yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, he plays F. W. Murnau. Um, <laughs> he does a really good job. It's it's a lot of fun. But yeah, I really like the um, the Nosferatu type of vampire, as you'll kind of learn as subspecies goes along. Uh, I like the kind of Nosferatu vampire, that like kind of folklore vampire. I really like that one. So, I mean, call them whatever you want, right? Lamia, Ghoul, Lamashtu, Rakshasa, Strigoi, Upir. World mythology is loaded to the brim with blood-sucking, night-hunting, shape-shifting monsters with one or more shared qualities between them. Folklore is always fertile ground to explore and experiment with, especially in our modern, kind of folklore-free age. And while most vampire media, and subspecies specifically, isn't what we would call folk horror, it is a good source for many vampire tropes. Between that and the kind of rough template laid down by our old friend Bram Stoker, we have a broad set of guidelines to play with. And for my money, Subspecies has just a great example of this. So our film opens with a cameo from the one and only Angus Scrim of Phantasm fame. He is an ancient king of vampires, and he just got a visit from one of his sons, Radu. Apparently, Radu is a bit miffed that his brother, Stefan, is going to receive a mystical relic, the Bloodstone, in a few short nights during a festival dedicated to the local vampire folklore. Radu, needless to say, dispatches his father, absconds with the Bloodstone, and sets our plot into motion. Shortly thereafter, a group of PhD students arrive in Romania to meet a friend, a local, who they studied medieval history with, you know, Somewhere, some college, they never say where, but whatever. So they head to Prejmir Fortress, home to this local vampire folklore that we'd mentioned moments ago. And there they meet Stefan, the uh, more human brother of Radu. A conflict unfolds and that ends in bloodshed as well as some other vampiric messiness. All in all, it's a pretty good plot for a movie, at least on paper. So we need to talk a little bit about this, though. Let's start with Radu. Uh, he's portrayed by a character actor named Anders Hove. He's been in TV and movies since the early 80s, best known for his work in a long-running soap opera, General Hospital. And I gotta be honest with you, Hove plays Radu with absolute sick glee. He is unapologetically an evil little shit, rotten to the core. And it kind of seems like Hove is having an absolute fucking blast playing him. I have to imagine having a role that allowed you to just be a gigantic fiend. And that's got to be kind of liberating, right? Every line he utters sounds like it's being spit at you from the very mouth of hell. Um, And it makes matters better, right? Like, He's kind of got the, the Nosferatu thing going on. He's got the long fingers. He's big and long. He's filmed wearing weird clothes that distort his features. He's made up really well. Um, he looks kind of like a early 90s Al Jorgensen if he were doing more heroin. Wow, dude. <laughs> <laughs> so um, The makeup is pretty good. Yeah. For your early 90s vampire, the design that will always stand out to me as, yeah, that's a vampire, is the Lost Boys. And we had that as 
the template for what 15 years buffy used it subspecies has it anytime you see that ghoulish vampire design it looks like that the eye the eyebrows go up into points the teeth come out and everything's <sighs> not okay yeah okay so I hope that some of our fans who are, you know, metal or industrial musicians are going to start sampling this movie. Um, Joe, if you wouldn't mind, I would like to offer a reading of some of his finer moments from the first two movies. Sorry if these give you, you know, any spoilers. That's what you get pretending you are human. I am taking the castle and these three little beauties as my consorts. Tell me, Stefan, is there one you like more than the others? I'll make sure to treat her with special care. Drink with me, fledgling. Savor the taste of your sister's suffering. Fear not, pretty one. Soon your mortal feelings will cease to cause you pain. Uh, one of my personal favorites. Such a touching tableau. Your pain, little brother, makes me sick. And Joe, I've saved this especially spicy one just for you. If you would do us the honors of reading this. <laughs> okay. This, I probably shouldn't read it before I say it, because the natural reaction would be better, but too yeah. late. Give me the dagger, Michelle. It's a magical object, and you must never touch it. Give it to me, or I will desecrate your sister in ways that will haunt you forever. The, wow. That <laughs> is straight up a line from the second movie. It's... <laughs> I can see what I'm missing out on now. Right, exactly. I'm leaving it in. It's funnier that I don't know what I'm what I'm what I'm saying. Oh yeah, do it, do it. So, uh, moving away from our utterly inspired casting decision, there, let's talk about a couple other points. To start, Subspecies is the first American film to be directed in Romania. The countryside, the castles, the cemetery—it's all authentic, and it looks amazing. I strongly suspect that this film would not have had the same impact without it. Uh, it sort of reminds me of John Eric Dowdle's As Above, So Below and how it used the Paris catacombs almost as another character. Sure, they could have filmed this movie elsewhere in Central Europe and made it look probably pretty good, but the setting just somehow makes it look more real. And then there's the score performed by the Amman Folk Orchestra. The whole score is, it's really just interesting and matches the mood of the film perfectly. I recently discovered that the score uh, is available for streaming online, and I'd be lying to you if I said I hadn't spent actually a lot of time listening to it. And as a final aside, I, I just want to talk about another character, uh, Stefan, portrayed by Michael Watson. Uh, he's another actor known primarily for working in soap operas rather than in film. He's a perfect foil for Hove's Radu. He's trying to not be an absolute beast like his big brother. In a way, Watson's performance it kind of presaged a lot of the more sympathetic monster tropes in vampire film, right? Also, I don't know if this was an intentional choice or not, but his hairstyle combined with his looks makes him a kind of sort of dead ringer for a young post-Bauhaus Peter Murphy to me. And maybe I'm just poisoned by all my years of music geekery, but go ahead, pause the episode, look him up and tell me what you think. But there is an elephant in the room here, and that's Full Moon Features, the production house responsible for this movie. I am what you might call a hesitant fan of Full Moon. They had a big impact on my early love of horror as a genre. Movies like this, uh, the original Waxwork, a handful of the early Puppet Master films, I love that stuff. 
But their latter-day output was responsible for, like, the Evil Bong series, the Ginger Dead Man, Corona Zombies, Femalien. Yeah, they seem to have a philosophy of blood, boobs, and blunts these days. There must be a market for them because they just... They just keep putting them out, man, and I... I don't get it. And if you like that sort of thing, sincerely, no judgments here. I really think there's just no accounting for taste in most regards. But Full Moon has slipped in a lot of ways. Uh, that said, though, I think some of Full Moon's recent productions like Puppet Master, The Littlest Reich, are a lot of fun. Provided you know what you're signing up for, right? At some point, I'm going to have to find a way to talk about schlock and how it's important to horror. Another episode. Anyway, um, I can understand why so many people will full body groan whenever Full Moon comes up. But this is one of the rare cases where I will say that you should overlook that, just, just for this. But it takes more than a fun script and a handful of interesting actors to make me like a movie. Like I'd said earlier, this movie is very much a nostalgia trip for me. I think the movie holds up, uh, in large part anyway, because of its adherence to an internal vampire fiction logic. Subspecies does a really brilliant job of sticking to the understood tropes of its subgenre. It blends in a fictitious but wholly believable local folklore into the story, and that's a hard trick to pull off, but with that cinematic suspension of disbelief, subspecies just fucking works. In a strange way, the act of sticking to a known mythology with only a few innovations feels somehow original. For instance, the Bloodstone. Inside the internal mythos of the films, it's a Catholic relic, a crystal or glass item that, for whatever church-based reasonings, drips the blood of all of the saints. In the movie, it's said that for vampires like the now fully dead king or Stefan, it can sustain them and make sure they don't have to hunt humans for sustenance. But in the hands, or claws, of a vampire like Radu, it's more like a drug. It's not expressly said, but I would strongly suspect that whatever powers the Bloodstone has makes Radu into somehow an even bigger asshole. But that's me reading outside the script, right? You said all the saints? All the saints. It never specifies, oh, it's uh, the blood of, I don't know, St. Christopher or uh, St. Andrew. It just says all the saints. That means simultaneously then, right? I would guess. I mean, I don't know that, you know, there's like a button on it that you can be like, oh, I'm, I'm definitely in a St. Stanislaus kind of mood at the moment. But then again, I mean, who knows? I've never had a good saint's blood cocktail to determine whether or not that's a good thing, right? That might be the plot of the fifth movie. At this point, it might be the plot of the seventh movie. Like they're getting ready to, <laughs> they're getting ready to release another one. Like Anders Hove is not a young man anymore, and this next one's supposed to be the prequel. Anyway, <laughs> I'm I'm done with prequels. Yeah, same. There, there, I said it. Okay, so I actually did some digging into Catholic and Orthodox relics while watching this. I had to wonder if there was any actual relics said to drip with saints' blood. Uh, I was actually pretty depressed to learn that this one doesn't exist. There is at least one relic said to contain the blood of Jesus Christ, and a few other relics exist like the blood of St. Genesarius. Uh, I think I pronounced that correctly. Uh, Saint, I'm sorry, the blood of St. Januarius. 
Maybe it's hindsight, but I'm always surprised to learn that more vampire movies don't make use of these sorts of plot devices. A rock dripping holy blood. Come on, that's amazing. I think the latter-day impact of stuff like Anne Rice's vampire stories or later on in the like the Twilight series really set down a set of rules that popular vampire movies are struggling to escape. I think it takes media like uh, True Blood or John Carpenter's Vampires to really break that mold, no matter how little the vampire fiction needle might actually need to move. <sighs> so now we unfortunately got to bring the tone down just a little and talk very briefly about the sequels to Subspecies. For our purposes, I'm going to focus on Bloodstone, Subspecies 2. Subspecies 2, Bloodstone. Man, this movie, it's a mess. This movie is a mess. Just, what was the director Ted Nicolau after? It's not a bad movie. It's no evil bong, you know? But it feels like a lot of concepts were being tried without the budget to pull it off or for that matter uh the skill within the crew to make it happen i won't say you shouldn't watch it it has some silly fun goofy ugly stuff in it and again anders hove plays this movie all the way up to 11 rasping his way through some of the most unpleasant lines of the era and though the special effects are very dated, they are gruesome and pretty entertaining. I guess it just feels like the apple fell far from the tree on this one. Anyway, there are like five subspecies films. Most of them are totally unnecessary, but if you've had maybe a few too many adult beverages one night, they could make for a fun time. I'm not a fandom type of guy at the end of the day. Uh, I have a lot of very nerdy interests, but on the whole, I stay out of fan communities. I guess I'm just kind of a chronic non-joiner in many regards. But the horror movie fandom is one of the rare places where I feel I can always find a, a sort of comfort, right? Uh, I tend to compare horror fandom to, like, metalheads. Sure, there are going to be purist snobs in every field. But metalheads are so enthusiastic and are uh, typically pretty willing to hear something new and different. I have found that if you can suggest some new band to a metalhead, even if they're not really appreciative of the band, they tend to be at least appreciative of hearing about it. And, of course, we'd be, well, off course, if we didn't mention the pre-existing intense crossover between horror fans and metalheads. It's a real peanut butter and jelly combo, right? So, I mean, Joe, you're the guy with the metal podcast. Uh, what do you think about that? Much like all heavy music, there are different subgenres of horror that diehard fans and non-diehard fans will spend a lot of time talking about. At the end of the day, it's supposed to be about the music and the feeling and how intense it is, but much like horror, there are some movies that go deep into the philosophy and the feelings of why this is scary, why this is evil. It doesn't have to be religion. It doesn't have to be folklore. But this is one of those examples of if you're expecting Dracula, you're going to get it. And that happens in metal also. By the way, discography discussion can be found at discussmetal.com. Am I allowed to talk about that here? Dude, I'm going to let you plug the shit out of your show. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate that. Of course. Uh, and yeah, and that's kind of one of those things, right? I... As a guy who's a f admittedly a fan of this incredibly silly movie, there is a big part of me that thinks, 
that by sticking to its own kind of uh, internalized mythos, it, it follows a logic that no matter how silly it is, again, it's a rock that drips saint blood. It's a very silly concept, but it works. And it's a lot of fun. And in doing things in a very particular way, and by following its own rules and following in large part the rules of the genre, it actually becomes an original thing, right? There's this moment in the movie that I really love where uh, Stefan, again, one of the vampires of the movie, is accompanying a, a local into a building and he stops and the local steps across the threshold of the door and says, Stefan, please come in, essentially, which is old school weird vampire myth that vampires can't enter a home or an inhabitation or an uh, you know someone's uh, habitation they can't enter it unannounced and they can't enter it without permission no one cares about that that's a tiny little rule that is mostly forgotten about in all but i think one or two movies i think it's brought up once in the lost boys no one talks about it no one talks about it at all and i just yeah it, it's a neat thing how a movie can follow a script and then end up original at the same time. I think that's so cool. I'm kind of like, for that reason, for as much as I love the, this movie, I'm kind of surprised by the lack of discussion I find online. No one's talking about subspecies. Some of it's probably the age of the movie, sure, but every horror movie has its own weird, deep subgenre, its own deep fandom. Why more people aren't talking about it, I don't know. That said, I didn't exactly go crawling through the depths of the internet to find any other commentary. But again, there's just re remarkably little out there on the surface. I did find a handful of good ones, though, and I am going to link to those in the show notes. Um, one of the recurring themes I keep finding in these reviews is, well, this movie isn't very good, but... And that just seems really silly to me. Uh, I've said previously that I don't believe in guilty pleasures when it comes to media. I don't see any issue with liking a thing on its own merits, you know? Horror movies suffer enough from a bad reputation without people having to qualify what they enjoy. In a way, I kind of think the concept of elevated horror has actually done some damage to the genre. Sure, not every dramatic film is Amadeus, but no one gives you trouble if you like a big-budget costume drama as well as a mainstream comedy, right? I understand that many fans want elevated horror to exist because they want their particular interests to be taken seriously. And look, I loved Midsommar and Hereditary. I think they're both great. In fact, I like both of those movies a, a massive deal. They're kind of, I think, like must-watch horror. And I, I think it was a great example of a horror film that is artistically focused and is freaky and uncomfortable to watch as Midsommar and Hereditary. But unless we are talking purely about the elements of horror genres, talking about elevated horror is honestly making things kind of worse. That's right. I've decided to say out loud that subspecies is as valid and important as Midsummer. Please send all of your hate mail to the Fright Lab podcast at gmail.com so we can know what sort of bunch of gormless rubes you all think we are for that idea. Wow, dude. Yeah. We're just going to come right out and say it. I, I, I feel like we're talking about horror as a whole, right? So how much of elevated horror is other countries? That's a really interesting question, right? Um, this is a split production when we're talking about the first movie. Mm -hmm. I don't know about the sequels, but this is a split Romanian-American production. Yeah. 
And how often do you go see a horror movie? I'm guilty of it myself. Crimson Peak. I didn't like it. I didn't think it was scary. I didn't think there was anything about that movie that was disturbing. But then the ending happens. And I had the same reaction to The Woman in Black. That movie is a lot of she's just screaming and that's what's supposed to be scary. I had to realize I was looking at a non-American folklore story Mm -hmm. with American eyes. And once I was able to step away and look at it from the perspective of why is this scary? It made more sense to me. How much of that benefits this movie and how much of that benefits elevated horror? That's that is a really, really good question. And it's something we're going to have to talk about in later episodes. I think Um, a really good example of that. uh, Two movies I watched in the last couple of years that Man, they're just so good. Uh, one is a German film called Hagazusa, which, uh, if memory serves me correctly, means something like The Witch's Curse. Um, it's uh, set in medieval Germany. The entire script is uh, performed in Old High German. It's a very strange movie, but it's it's just dark and just... It, it's like a doom metal album turned into uh, into a film. It, it's dark and it's freaky and it's weird. And how much of it is German folklore being put on screen? Which, I mean, German folklore is already a little weird to begin with by by American eyes. But seeing it live, but also seeing it done beautifully. It is a gorgeous film. It looks amazing. Uh, what was the other one? Uh, I believe it was a Thai film called The Medium, which is currently on Shutter. Oh, that's really good. Oh, it's really good. But not, I think, part of the freakiness of for me for the first like 20 or 30 minutes of that movie was recognizing that I don't know enough about Thai mythology or Thai folklore to talk about it at any real length. So movies like that, again, how much does a movie like Subspecies benefit from it being a in part a Romanian film? I, I don't know. Short answer is I don't know. And I think there are probably uh, way better educated people who could talk to me. I want them to email us, which, again, we'll give you the email address at the end of the show. I would like to hear from people who have that experience and can maybe talk to us about that. So if you're a film director or a folklorist or whatever, give us a shout. We want to hear about this stuff. And this is, I think, fertile ground for us to jump off of. But, you know, I've kind of gotten off subject here, right? Yeah, sorry about that. Uh, No, it's fine. It's fine. (laughs) What's my point? What the hell am I rambling about here, right? Uh, So to my point, Subspecies is, in my opinion the last vampire movie to really just tell a vampire story. There are enough novel plot elements at play at any point to make it a different movie than any other vampire films around it, both in terms of genre and in terms of the time period it was made. The film is definitely low budget, and it can't compete with something like The Lost Boys, but it has something very special. It has character. Maybe in a way that a cantankerous old house cat has character. But you can't ignore that there is something deeply lovable about it. And like I said at the beginning of the episode, even after all these years, I think Subspecies is still worth your attention. Consider this. The original Subspecies came out in 1991, and there is a prequel uh, to Subspecies subtitled Blood Rise, which is currently in pre-production as of this year. And Anders Hove is still going to be playing Radu. That's 31 years. An impressive lifespan for a film series. People still love Michael Myers and Freddy Krueger after all these years. So why not poor old Radu, right? And am I going to spend my hard-earned money to watch Subspecies Blood Rise? 
Fuck no. Honestly, these <laughs> movies did not get any better with each iteration, you know? And in so many cases, original concepts have something of a radioactive half-life. Rarely, if ever, does a sequel ever hold a candle to the original. Like, look, I love Hellbound Hellraiser 2. It's not as good as the original, obviously, but it has some really amazing elements to it. Some unique, good scares, and the visuals are just trippy. But after that, there's a pretty sharp decline in the quality of the Hellraiser films. Uh, apparently, there's a reboot coming this way, which I may or may not watch. I'm pretty excited by the, the upfront news about it. But these latter-day bearers of the Bloodstone just can't take away my affection of the first one, right? Give uh, give the sequels of Hellraiser a little bit of credit, Lucas. There were some peaks amidst all those valleys. Okay, yeah, sure, I will grant. There's a couple of the Latter-day sequels that are at least interesting. But as time goes on with those movies, I understand why Doug Bradley walked away from them. I really do. Did he walk away? Yeah. I thought he was cast aside for some reason. I I don't know what the story is. I'm guessing he eventually looked at Hellraiser 46 and went, nah, nah, I'm good. The Fright Lab is written and researched by me, Lucas Yoakum. Uh, it is performed by myself and our producer, Joseph Wren. Uh, Joe, where can they find your podcast? Well, discography discussion in all podcasts created by DiscussMetal.com can be found at DiscussMetal.com. We have sweet perks on Patreon, but I think people want to know where they can find the Fright Lab, Lucas. Well, uh, you can contact us currently at the Fright Lab Podcast at gmail.com. So, what do you think, my dear audience? Uh, have you seen Subspecies? Do you love it? Or am I completely off here? And what's your favorite deep cut vampire movie? Should Joe not allow me to start rambling about my theories about creative properties? Email us and let us know. Beat. Okay, we gave it a beat. Okay, I've got that pun out of my system. I don't, I don't <laughs> crack puns. I actually fucking hate them. But I had to get that one out of my system. You, you've been cracking puns, Lucas. It's okay. You what don't else? have to be a stereotype. You just have to be yourself <laughs> and accept else? the fact that you are a stereotype. <laughs> I like, believe me, man. I know. Like when I was thinking about this show initially. One of the things that went through my mind was, I'm a bearded guy who wears flannels and, like, newsboy caps who has a thing about horror movies. Yeah, no shit. Yeah, clearly. Um, kind of off-record, Joe. Uh, at this point, we need to put in some masterpiece theater-ass music. Just big welcome to... Welcome to Lucho Classic Theater. Yeah, something. Harpsichords or whatever. Okay, so here we go. I'm you asked for it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I did. Okay, so let's go ahead and throw some of these out. <laughs> 